Kings fans, are you ready to see that Stanley Cup banner raised again? The Kings are coming home with a 9-2-1 record, and clearly, everyone, most notably the Bannermen, saw it coming. Miles and miles away. I, I mean, it was so obvious. So, so obvious. We were kind of down on the team in uh, preseason in the summer. A little more optimistic in the last few episodes, but man, I am uh, borderline shocked at what's been going on with this team, especially with this road trip now, the six-game road trip coming to a close. They come out of it with a 4-2 and two record. We said they would go 500. They did one better. Game one, we predicted they were going to lose against Columbus. I simply thought that there was just too much going into it emotionally. They had just lost Carter. Um, Columbus was, I mean, is still a heck of a team. You know, it was probably the best opponent they had played up until that point. And they came out and played a phenomenal game, which they kept up, which has been consistent throughout this entire season, regardless of who they play against. Now, obviously, the results end up being different uh, depending on the you know, the opponent that they play. But honestly, I think the most surprising thing to me has been that throughout this 12-game start to the season, um, you're seeing the same game. Every single game that they're coming out, they're playing the exact same way. Um, Every once in a while, maybe the execution kind of falls off or there's little mistakes that a better team takes advantage of, kind of like what happened tonight. Uh, against St. Louis, which, by the way, we're recording immediately after the St. Louis games for for uh, those listening. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't argue with what you're seeing out there. You know, if 12 games is any sample size to judge by, this is actually a good team. And once again, our eat crow per 60 continues to climb. League leading, I would say. League leading, eat crow per 60, <laughs> flying high. But yeah, you know, you mentioned style of play. One thing... They do play the same game, uh, I agree with you, but then there's there's certain situations where you, you get to see the old Kings a little bit. You get to see that team that could still shut you down, which is was a concern for us last episode. We mentioned it. It's like, man, I'm worried that they're going chance for chance, tit for tat, and at some point it's going to catch up with them. But I would say in the Boston game, I would say maybe a little bit in the Ottawa game, there you saw glimpses, flashes, whatever you want to call it, of that shut down Kings team that we're so used to seeing over the last few years. And that actually excited me a little bit. I'm glad that we could go to the well anytime we need it. Uh, but let's let's talk about the road trip. Let's We're going to go through all six games probably quickly because we're probably going to stop on the Boston game for a little bit because some crazy stuff happened there. Uh, <laughs> but the, the Columbus game. So the Kings win 6-4. Shots were 36-32 Blue Jackets. A pretty even game, a game that, like we said, we thought would be the first defeat of the season for the team. And really, it felt like it could have gone either way, that game. It was, uh, every goal seemed to get answered quickly. Uh, they were exchanging chances, and in the end, it was Andre Kopitar with a one-handed deflection off a pass by Dustin Brown. But really, the key on that play was, once again, Alex Ayafalo. He literally, I mean, I've never seen... One guy off a forecheck make an entire play. Well, I shouldn't say I've never seen, but it's rare to see, especially a kid his age, to make a a play entirely on your own one-on-two forecheck and set up what would prove to be the game winner. Yeah, I I think 
I follow's value to that line cannot be understated at this point. I realize that on the stat sheet, if you're looking, he's only chipped in for a few assists here and there. He's still waiting on that um, that uh, first goal of his career, which is obviously going to come. But man, the things he does, the little things he does, the the puck protection plays, the the you know the digging for the puck in the corners and keeping plays alive, kind of like how he did to actually set that play up. Those are the types of things that, again, not to not to crown the boy uh, too early on or, or set expectations too high for people, but those are the types of things that we used to see from Justin Williams all the time. Um, and I follow has that that innate character to his game, that instinct that you can't necessarily teach, but with the added advantage of being a little bit quicker than than Williams was. Um, and honestly, I think it's just a matter of time before he finds his own offense within that line, because right now he's just he's helping create a lot of room and create a lot of chances for Brown and Kopitar. And it's, it's nice to see. It's nice to see a rookie come in like that and be impactful enough to gain 17, 18 minutes a night and not necessarily feel worried about some of his shortcomings, which I'm quite frankly, I'm yet to see. I'm yet to see a part of his game that I'm I'm left, you know, wanting. Yeah, I mean, if you could point out anything and that it's a little nitpicky, you would want him to finish a little more. You want him to be more of a finisher. But at the same time, I mean, he's such a tenacious player. I think that's the best word to describe his game is just pure tenacity. And he is, he does not give up. And Justin Williams is the perfect comparison because that was Justin Williams' bread and butter with Kopitar. He's the guy who would go in there, dig the puck out, and the Kings would start that, you know, wear down possession game those years under Sutter. So to me, that's what he brings to the table that went through. And the amazing thing is that he's playing like 18 to 20 minutes a game because Mm -hmm. quite frankly, he has to, (laughs) he is on the left side of Kopitar. So it has been a breath of fresh air, this kid. And we said it last episode, we'll say it again. It is amazing to me that someone who's never played a professional game can come in and be the answer to so many problems, uh, so many problems for the Kings. And, that game, Kopitar gets two goals and an assist. Um, I think Brown had four points that game. Uh, he was one and three. Ayafalo, uh, two assists. So there you go. They're carrying it. That line is carrying it. And the number one line is doing what the number one line is supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons that I, maybe his development is a little farther along than your average rookie is because he's played college hockey he's not coming in at 18 19 years old necessarily he's played a couple seasons i think maybe even three seasons of college hockey at a relatively high level and did well at the college level as well and so maybe that's translating a bit more uh, than you would see necessarily from someone who's coming straight out of juniors um and he just plays an honest game you know like it's a cliche to kind of say that but you just watch what he's doing and it's all instinctual good hockey plays. It's seeing the puck, it's working your butt off, getting there, which is exactly what happened on that shift that led to Kopitar's goal. I mean, he essentially went in one on three into the zone, had a dump in slash shot attempt that kind of got deflected off into the corner. So he goes into the corner chasing after the defenseman who's getting the puck, forces the defenseman to make a bad uh, clearing attempt around the net, chases that back around again, picks up the puck on the half wall. And by this point, Brown is actually in the zone and he's able to, you know, give 
again, a very smart, subtle play, right? So he sees the Brown is coming around. He's skating into the zone. And so what does he do? He doesn't actually wait to give Brown a tape-to-tape pass. He realizes where the where the openness is in, in the ice because he just came from there. And he puts the puck into an open area, which is down low, and lets Brown come in and set a play up immediately from there. I mean, it's just it's instinctual, it's hockey sense that you can't necessarily teach someone. And if he's coming in and he's playing like this in his first season, I can't wait to see how his development goes, honestly. That's the thing with him, right? It's normally a player's trajectory suggests that they will get better in years two, three, and four. So, yeah, I'm very excited about him. I'm very excited about him. He seems like one of those gems that the Kings used to be able to find, maybe not out of college, but the Kings used to have a knack for finding these players that were under the radar and developing them or just throwing them in the lineup and they became good NHL players. So excited for him. And and right after that game, 6-4, to four, the Kings kind of roll into Toronto. Again, this the Toronto game, when I we looked at the schedule, we figured that might be a tough one. The Leafs were flying high and the, and the Kings end up losing 3-2. to two. They outshot the, outshot the Leafs 38-34, to 34, so a pretty even game. I thought the game the whole way through was pretty even. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I would even go so far as to say the the Marlowe goal probably was a high stick, but then again, I will also say that uh, Marner's goal probably should have counted because I felt quick after the bump, had enough time to maybe reset himself and, and, and make a save, so maybe that evens out. But overall, I mean, really, it, it, it was a one-shot game at the end of the day, and, and Coming off that win, that emotional win against Columbus, going into Toronto, is you might expect a bit of an emotional letdown. And the Kings fought through, man. It was it was a three to two game. It was the first regulation loss of the season for the Kings, ending the Bannerman streak of tweets <laughs> where the Kings <laughs> remain undefeated in the Bannerman era. No, I think I, I think it's important to look when you look at this road trip within the entire context of things, right? So First things first, you're losing Jeff Carter before you go on this trip and playing arguably some of the best teams uh, in the league at the moment in Columbus, Toronto, and St. Louis. Um, And Ottawa isn't exactly chop liver either. When we were looking at this trip, we we thought Montreal and Boston, those are the two games that they should win. And they did. Um, But the teams, you know, against Columbus, Toronto, and St. Louis, I think overall one of the things you're going to – uh, to me anyway that stood out is that all three of those games were played pretty evenly in my mind i didn't think that they were outclassed by any one of those teams that they played against and um you know a bounce goes here or there you actually have your full lineup with carter being there um i think it makes a heck of a difference and of course you're playing these teams on the road you have this you have the first, you know, you put your lineup out there and they get the second change. They decide how they're going to match it. All those things make a big difference when your teams are this close um, and games are this close. So I, I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, you can look at that loss against Toronto or the loss that came tonight against St. Louis and feel necessarily like the team was so far off that there was no chance of winning those games. I think these are these are even games that, you know, if these are the teams that you end up playing in seven-game series in the playoffs, those are going to be really, really close series, quite honestly, and that's what you would expect. Yeah, and so I'm going to add to that, but I want to move on to the Ottawa game. Uh, mm-hmm. the 3-2 Kings outshot them 43-30. to And <laughs> and see, so I want to kind of stop on that stat is because you just mentioned that 
the games are all pretty even. Um, it, it's back and forth. No one really has. No one dominates, right? Even so, the Kings are right. nine, nine, two, and one, and I can say they're yet to really dominate a game, whether it be possession. I mean, shots. Yeah, you could argue this game against Ottawa, forty-three to thirty. That's a pretty big margin, thirteen shot margin. But still, you watch that game; it never felt like either team was in control for longer than a few shifts, and that's kind of the way this whole season has been going, in my eyes. Yeah, the one game that I would say that maybe uh, was more on the verge of domination was the 5-1 win against Montreal at home. I felt like that that one was pretty soundly in favor of the Kings. In the third period, though. So that's the True. Thing. It was a one-period. True, one but period. I mean, yeah. All right, fair. Fair, I'll give you that. Right. In the third, they definitely sealed it, but yeah. Yeah, and then that Ottawa game, back to that game, it, you know, <laughs> I thought in my mind the Montreal-Kings game at home would be the adrian kempe game but this one is also pretty close if, if someone tells me the kempe game i would have to ask which one the ottawa game or the montreal game right. because, because he was man that game tying goal he scored that's what you want to see like we know he has the flash we know he has the skill but that goal is a four check goal it's a goal where he uses his speed to create the turnover and then patiently uh beats mike condon and sends the game into overtime of all the goals he's scored and the hat trick and all that, that to me is the goal where he, he kind of told everyone that I'm more than what I've shown you so far. So, yeah, that was I was very, very excited for him. And then obviously he goes on to the shootout and just undresses Mike Condon to get the game-winning goal. Yeah, maybe this might be the Adrian Kempe game for me after all. You know, I hope it's I hope it's the the second of many. I hope we have so many <laughs> that the season that you you know you'd have to have a list a mile long to decide which one the Adrian Kempe game is. But I agree with you. That goal, it's funny because that's the type of goal that I I'm I'm expecting Aya follow to score one of these days, right? Like right. just skating his ass off, getting in there, picking up a, a, an exchange between the goalie and the defenseman that just goes a little wrong. And capitalizing on it, and that's that's the beauty of having speed and a little bit of skill, um, and it's just it's nice to see that. Those are the types of games that you're not only are you going to leave an impression on the coaching staff, I think, when you play that way, but you leave an impression in your own mind because you start realizing what it is you're capable of doing against these pros and what it is that you have to bring to the rink to actually succeed at this level. And I think if there's there's another nice. Uh, through line from this um, from this trip, I think one of the other major points is is that Adrian Kempe has been able to step up and be a reasonable second line center in the absence of Carter and actually contribute consistently, even if not necessarily on the score sheet the last couple of games. Still a presence. The line is still clicking and making things happen. And it's nice to see him take that step forward in his development, which I think was a big question mark in my mind uh, coming into this season. I think it was a question mark for everyone because really, forget the stat line, even last season, you saw flashes and it's always been flashes, flashes. But now, and again, we talked about this, now he's kind of put together what you would call a consistent run of games where you're like, yes, I see it. He's doing this. He's, he's visible every game. He's a difference maker every game. I mean, yeah, he didn't get an assist in the Boston game, but on the Foley's first goal, he made that goal happen by right. forechecking and, and forcing that turnover. So it's, those are the things you want to see out of him. You know, it's not just about goals and assists, which goals he has plenty of now, 
that's not a problem anymore. But to do those little things, to forecheck, to create turnovers, one resulting in a goal for him, one resulting in a goal for Toffoli. Now you're becoming what you would call a complete player. The things that Jeff Carter has been doing for a decade now. Now, you know, can't be starting to do. So that Ottawa game, you kind of felt like the Kings maybe grabbed victory from the jaws of defeat there. And it's due to that play by Kempe. He keeps the team alive, uh, sends it into overtime, and wins it. So I think, again, a big step forward for him that game. You wanted to see at least 10 or 15 games this season where you're like, another step forward for Kempe, another step forward for Kempe, because that's really how he's going to get to where we all believe he can potentially go to. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and obviously, if if our... You know, if the goal for him is to be a second-line center, which it seems like that's that's kind of what they're shooting for at the moment, um, that's the kind of completeness that I think you have to bring to the game to play as a center. I think if you're a winger, it's nice to see, you know, a lot of forechecking, a lot of um, work in the corners and making the offense happen. But as a center, you know, you have to play a two-way game. You have to be present in all three zones. Um, the one knock on him, you know, if, if we are going to criticize is obviously the face-offs, which thankfully, in my opinion, I think face-offs are a learnable skill. You know, there's a method to it. There's a strategy to it. Um, your opponents differ uh, every night. And so you can study up on it. And, and he's obviously got Kopi in the lineup, that, you know, uh, with a Selkie winner in the locker room with you every day. I'm hoping that, you know, he's, he's working on that on his off time and trying to figure out how to improve on the weaknesses in his game. Um because that's what's going to keep him. Those are the elements that you need to perfect in order to get to uh, being a second line center, playing on that Jeff Carter level, contributing in all aspects of the game. Yeah, and you know it's funny. He he had a brutal night in the circle and against Toronto. <laughs> yeah, like brutal. And then he goes into Ottawa, twenty seconds into the game, wins a faceoff clean to Martinez, who hammers it to to put the Kings up by one. So I don't think he ended up having a really great faceoff percentage of that game. But again, that's just one example of like that's a one face off in the offensive zone and you keep doing that you build on that you're going to get more offensive zone starts and you're going to get more ice time again that's just the the way it is right that's the way it goes uh, for centerman so steps forward steps forward for him that's all we want and i think actually uh looking at the ottawa game he got 15 minutes of ice time uh including a buck 28 on the power play so obviously the coaching staff saw something there that game, right? I mean, 15, 15 minutes, 15 seconds was his ice time, and that's a little over what he's uh, normally getting these days. In fact, uh, the very next game in Montreal, he got 11 minutes and 56 seconds. So right. it was one of those games where he had it, man, and, and the coaching staff saw it, and I'm, and I'm glad they did because, like we said, I think that is the real Kempe game moving forward. But let's go to Montreal. So here's another nutty game. Kings get outshot 40 to 28. Mm-hmm. Um, and they win 4 nothing. So I mean, Jonathan Quick was amazing. Um, Jonathan Quick's the kind of goalie that loves those stages, those moments, those scenarios where you're in Montreal, you're facing Carey Price. You know, he's the kind of guy I think that loves to write narratives in his head and kind of make sure it plays out the way he wants it to play out he had 40 saves and now in his career any game in all the games where he's made 40 or more saves his record is 13-0-3 uh which is pretty astounding 
uh, again, that's that status for 40 or more saves, not shots against. Even the shots against, I was looking at it, I think he's at least 10 games over 500 uh, when mm-hmm. facing 40 or more shots. So, you know, a lot of people on this road trip are going to remember the Boston game for the end there. But, mm-hmm. but to me, the main thing I'm going to remember on this road trip is just Towards the end of it, Jonathan Quick was absolutely spectacular, and he was really, really in the zone against Montreal. And and you're going to need him to be that way, right? Like every once in a while, you're going to need him to bail out the team when they're not necessarily clicking immediately. Now, granted, the Kings went on to score four goals, and so it's not necessarily considered a bailout. And when I say go on, I mean they scored two of them in the first period. So they had the game in hand, but Montreal was was pounding them with chances. These weren't just 40 perimeter shots, you know, like there was chances coming every which way. And he was standing on his head to the point where Stevens himself said that this was probably the best game that he recalls seeing him play um, as a King. And so it's, it's nice to have that big game goalie. And I think it's nice again, thinking uh, one of the thoughts that kept creeping into my mind as I was watching, you know, some of the games during this road trip and kind of seeing, uh, the Kings record accumulating was all the questions that I had in my mind before the start of the season, all the ifs I, I mentioned in one of our podcasts, um, they, they would have to go right for the Kings to do well. And one of them was if quick can bounce back and play the way he normally can, because the small number of games he played at the end of last season, you know, he just still didn't quite look right. Maybe that was a product of the team around him, not looking right. I feel like wholeheartedly I can say that Quick is playing about as well as I ever recall seeing him play. His numbers are are league leading in a lot of categories at the moment. If it wasn't for a few other goaltenders who are having some, you know, great success, um, he'd probably be leading in in all the categories. Um, But it's nice to know that he can play that way because obviously the Kings aren't going to have every single night where they're dominating offensively, where they're playing that well offensively. And I think it just gives you a boost of confidence as a player to know that you have Jonathan Quick back there playing the way that he always has been. So you can try a little bit. You can you can cheat a little bit more for the sake of trying to win a game. Yeah, and it was a, it was a rough night for Carey Price. I mean, we don't really want to get into other goalies that much, but you know he's still probably the best goalie in the world, uh, and that's no disrespect to Quick. I think I'll, we've talked about this. He's probably up there too, but you know how good Carey Price is, and he was just having a rough, rough game. Deflections all over the place. Uh, Curtis McDermott, by the way, first NHL goal, Big Mac. Good for him, man. He's a. Uh, it's nice to see. You know he he's one of those guys that you know has has worked his butt off to get to where he is. You know he's. He's really paid his dues to get to where he is. You could just tell from his character and all that. And really, you look at his career, he he really has. And he's the type of guy that everyone loves as long as he's on your team. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, good to see him score that. But you almost, for a minute, felt for Carey Price there. And regarding quick stats, by the way, I just want to jump back to what you said. Um, he's currently fourth in in uh goals against with 1.89 he's currently third in save percentage at 0.94 he is second in wins with seven and he leads in shutouts with two so really the guys ahead of him are like oscar dansk anders nilsson you know i don't think they're guys that 
over the span of a season. I don't even think they've probably pay, pl- played more than a handful no, of games. Those guys anyway, have both right. played like four games. You exactly. know, it's, it's so easy it's, to get those numbers in four games. It, exactly. It's inflated numbers and all that. But he's going to be near, I mean, uh, hopefully, he's going to be near the top of those stats because the the way the Kings are playing right now, the way he's in the zone, yeah, he's going to have some dud games. But, again, another thing that I, I you know, he was the least of my worries, but I don't think I expected him to be so sharp. Uh, to start out the season coming off an injury like that. Yeah, and again, it's maybe he might have been the least of our worries, but when you get to his age and you have a groin injury, of all things, with the type of style that he plays, I think it's just nice to see him bounce back and play that way and take one less, you know, sorry, get rid of one of the question marks that I think was floating around a bit in the team's head. Um yeah, it's just nice to see. It's nice to see that he's still playing that well. It's nice to see that he's a big game goaltender like he always has been. Um, and again, you know, if the team keeps it up the way they have been, and and at this point they're building themselves a nice little cushion uh, against all the other teams in the Pacific who are playing probably a little worse than anyone expected them to. But, hey, man, points are points. And a big lead like this going into, you know, going in through the season that could be reflected quite considerably at the end of the season rankings and, and where you end up if we're talking about playoffs. And that's, that's where Jonathan quick makes his money is, is he's a big time playoff goaltender. So the key is just get him there, keep working out the kinks as a team and see what happens, I guess. And I don't think anyone could call what was about to happen in the Boston game. Uh, so Kings went two to one shots were 30 to 30. Talk about an even game there. Both Rask and Quick, I thought, were unbelievable all game. Uh, oh, yeah. It was a duel. It was an, an absolute duel back and forth. Yeah, both goalies absolutely keeping their team in it. Uh, a 1-1 game headed into overtime. And then, I mean, I look, we've been watching hockey, I think, close to 30 years, probably maybe 25 to 30 years, depending on which one of us you ask. But I don't think I have ever and likely will ever see a goal like that Tyler Toffoli buzzer beater in overtime. Uh, 0-0.9 seconds left. You know what's funny? Everyone says, oh, John Stevens drew up the play. That is the only play you can make. There is no other play. The only other play you can make is Andre Kopitar throwing a weak backhander at the net. So not taking away from John Stevens, but like that literally was the only option is to win it back for a one-timer. And I mean, you... The funny thing is you see teams all the time um, try and pull that playoff, right? Like how many times have you seen or heard where it's like, oh, there's four, you know, there's uh, less than a second left. They're going to pull the goaltender. It's a far, it's an end zone face off on the off chance that someone wins the puck back for a perfect shot for a perfect, you know what I mean? Yeah. It it happens so many times and almost 90 plus percent of the time either it's not a clean face-off win or the face-off doesn't get one or the puck doesn't quite end up where you need it to end up for a puck i mean there's so many things that have to go right for that play to play out the way it did in the amount of time that there is and for it to happen in overtime it's just it's crazy it's absolutely crazy yeah it is i can't remember celebrating like that for a regular season goal in a long time and i think obviously the circumstances make you react that way but it was everyone like the call by uh jim fox and alex faust i think i've listened 
or watch that clip no less than 25 times because it is pure raw shock and emotion and it is so fun to watch that clip i i, I don't think i'm gonna stop playing it anytime soon because they're Absolutely. just they're just acting like children right <laughs> the shock of it and even the boston feed uh, jack edwards renowned homer jack edwards for the bruins on Nesson, <laughs> he actually said there's about a zero percent chance anything's gonna happen here and then when the Kings scored, even he had like this childlike un- call where he just said, unbelievable what we just saw. And the bench reaction, Drew Doughty's reaction, like the way they mobbed Toffoli. And there's this one image of Toffoli like looking up at the heavens while everyone is just mobbing him. Like you, you felt pure joy, like they were playing pond hockey. And I don't want to make... I don't want to get too poetic here, but this team has lacked that for the last three years. I haven't seen that in this team, that joy, that excitement, that just complete carefree attitude. And that's what made that goal so special to see and so special to be a part of as a fan and I'm sure as a player and the announcers and all that. Again, it's a regular season goal in October at the end of the day. It's not, it's not a big deal, but I think that encapsulates what is going right with this team right now. Yeah, I I 100% agree. In the end, it's two points, right? It's two points in a regular season game, and it means nothing beyond that. But it it builds so much emotion and and just fun, right? Like one of the big themes, um, and this has been quoted multiple times from people who are talking to guys in the locker room. And again, uh, I think Dennis Bernstein came out with an article earlier today, kind of just talking about how it's just fun again, how it's just fun to play hockey. And that goes beyond the fact that winning is fun. Everyone knows winning is fun, but it's just the way that they're winning. It's like every game, there's a different something that's happening that makes it fun. You know, uh, Kopitar's goal against Columbus, that one handed perfect pass from Brown set up by, I follow holding the puck in. That whole sequence is just such a such an uplifting kind of thing to watch as a team, not just the guys who score the goal. Right. It's the same thing with the Foley goal. You know, it's two points. It's an overtime goal. It's two points. Awesome. But you just don't see that happen. And you chat about that, you know, like they're not going to forget that goal. As a locker room, as a player, how can you possibly forget that goal throughout the, throughout the course of a season, you know? And I would, I would probably say longer too because it just does – not happen it, it you could draw that up a hundred times and that face off and again a lot of people are saying oh david pasternak all you had to do was tie kopitar up but the thing is pasternak's not a center and he was caught on an icing and now he's forced you know to take a face off against the selkie trophy winner in the offensive zone and he gets absolutely demolished like cl- as clean as a whistle as clean as a win as you'll ever see but again it's just I think also Tuka Rask was like way off his angle. Oh, he totally was. <laughs> I, don't I don't think, think he was. He, yeah. he was not expecting that at all. I think he was thinking exactly what Jack Edwards said. There's like 0% chance anything's going to happen here, right, right? right? I mean, it's the same thing. As a goaltender, he's played millions of games where there's been a scenario like that. And he's just thought to himself, all I have to do is stand here square and make sure – the one thing that he was probably thinking more so, and this pr- thought probably left his head as soon as he saw Kopitar line up for the faceoff, is every once in a while you'll see a guy trying to shoot directly off of the faceoff. But Kopitar lined up on a backhand, so clearly he was trying to win it back. And so he's thinking to himself, okay, this is, nothing's going to happen here, much less it's going to be one directly to Toffoli, and Toffoli's going to hammer it far side. I mean, it's just 
in a way, you're like, how could you not be paying attention? But in another way, you're like, how can you blame the guy? <laughs> yeah, of course he's not paying I mean, how attention. How can you blame the guy? <laughs> he's thinking to himself, how am I going to do in the shootout at that point? <laughs> exactly, just, exactly. But it's fun, man. It's fun. It's fun to watch stuff, stuff like that. It's, it, I think it's... I think it's important to have moments like that, you know. Um, I realize it's not the same thing, but one of the most memorable goals that I think a lot of us have is um, Brown's goal. I think it was against San Jose in the 2012 playoffs where Kopitar had the big flip pass that went over everyone and landed perfectly for Brown to score on the yeah, breakaway. Yeah, I mean, that was actually before the playoffs. Yeah, that was like in sorry, 20, sorry. 20, yeah, yeah, was, 2010. They weren't even – they were still figuring it out kind of. But, yeah, I remember that. It was – uh. Yeah, copy with the lob pass for a breakaway. And again, it's one of those things where if they tried it 10 more times, it would not work out as perfectly exactly. as it did. But those are memorable moments, right? Like those are the types of things that just stick with you as a player, as a team, and make hockey fun again. I almost I sound like a politician now. Make hockey fun again. Hey, man. Um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> That Slap was the, that on a red hat, I think baby. That, I think that was the battle cry for the Kings <laughs> in the offseason. I mean, really, because there was some point where we were like, you know what? Let's forget the outcome. Just make this game entertaining again for us. Because last year was so tough to get through. Like some of the games, like we talked about before, you were questioning, like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. Because it, it was just rinse and repeat the same stuff. And this year... I don't want to miss a shift because I don't know what the hell is going to happen out there. I don't know who's going to step yeah. up. I don't know. If I missed Alex Ayafalo's first NHL goal, I would hate myself forever. You know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> You'd have to like personally pen him an apology and just say, dear Alex, exactly. my bad. Exactly. So I was getting water. I was thirsty. <laughs> it's not an excuse. That's what I'm saying. Like I cannot miss those things. And that's because of the way the team's playing right now. And that's the just the feeling around the team right now and again it's not going to last forever like i don't think you know in another 13 games the kings are going to have 18 wins I, I you know total i don't think i think things balance out i just like i don't think the vegas golden knights are going to like walk through the entire nhl and go like i don't know 16 and 3 and win the stanley cup it's just not going to happen uh things are going to balance out every everything kind of regresses to the mean but Enjoy it, man. You got to enjoy these moments because no one would have predicted a 9-2-1 record. And the two, just now we can kind of segue to the St. Louis game, was because of the loss tonight to St. Louis. And again, it's a game that was highly entertaining. Uh, Blues had the shot advantage 30-28. to Quick and Al, uh, Jake Allen were both, again, phenomenal, phenomenal goaltending display. A questionable call with the goalie interference. I, I'm not going to mm -hmm. drum drum that up too much, but I think it was goalie interference. At, but at the same time, I understand why the call wasn't made. You know, uh, you would, and I think we spoke via text as it was going on, and I, I think we kind of said, well, I don't think he would have made the save anyway, even if his stick was free. So it's not a big deal. But again, the Kings were in it, man. The Kings were in it. Up until Kopi slipped on a banana peel and they went the other way and got the empty knitter. So as encouraging as losses can be, the three losses the Kings have had have been very encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really felt like any one of those losses. And I'm sure there'll be one somewhere along the line where there's just, you know, it's an off night. No one shows up. But every single loss, not only do I feel like, man, they could still win this. They could still win this up until the very last minute of the game. 
And that's not just like Homer fan, you know, waiting for the Kings to pull off a miracle. That's just watching the game and feeling like they're just knocking on the doorstep here. They just they just need a little balance. They need a little luck. I think it's just it's nice to watch those games. And then more importantly, you watch the reaction after the loss today in St. Louis. And despite the fact that they went four and two on this trip, despite the fact that they had a big win against Columbus and were in it against Toronto and St. Louis, and despite the fact that they did that all without Carter, there were some visibly angry and emotional Kings players leaving the ice tonight. None of them I felt like were taking it as, oh well. We're still nine, two, and one. It's still early in the season. Like you could tell that these guys are invested in every single game that they're playing. As fun as it might be, they they realize that they don't want to lose. They don't want to stop that momentum. They don't want to stop the good times that they're having. And they also realize that they're in every single one of these games, right? Like they needed Jake Allen to come up huge on a couple saves against Pearson, on Dowdy, on I follow. I mean these are the types of chances that, you know, you're going to bury eventually and you just got to keep at it. And I think it's just nice to see the team realize that. And it's nice to see them not just hanging in there against better opponents, but just going toe to toe back and forth, being able to play their game and get their chances. And you just need a bounce or, you know, like you said, maybe a goalie interference call going your way, which kind of segueing roughly to that goalie interference call. My thought on that was that that's one of those incidental contact calls, you know, that sometimes you just see a ref wave it off because it wasn't interference necessarily, necessarily. It was just incidental contact. So I get it. I I just, I mean, if you're not going to call that goalie interference, then I don't know, man. I mean, he clearly backs into him, pushes the stick and the, and the blocker, in one direction as quick as trying to set up in the opposite direction. And granted, it didn't look like he was in a right position to save uh, that shot. But you can you can argue all day whether that was because he, he got interfered with in the first place and couldn't really square up, or was it just because he saw the shot and didn't square up properly anyway? I don't know. It was the thing is it was hard to see. So the ref's not going to call incidental yeah, contact yeah. on the play uh, exactly because I remember. First replay, I was like, why would they even challenge that? Why would you just throw away your right. timeout like that? And then the second overhead replay, I was like, oh, there it is. And and that's when I was like, now I understand why Quick especially was so animated in his reaction. He was very upset that they would even, you know, it was a quick review, I think, for the most part. And that, that they would miss it really, really upset Quick, which would be, you know, Quickie doesn't need a lot to get upset in the last few seasons. Uh, so... Yeah, yeah I mean, they actually put red Gatorade instead of yellow Gatorade in his bottle one time, and he he almost killed someone, I think. <laughs> yeah, so four and two road trip, eight out of possible 12 points, and man, now they're going home, and the Kings only have one defeat at home, and it was an overtime loss, but they got Toronto coming up on Thursday, they got Nashville on Saturday, and then next week it's Anaheim and Tampa Bay, uh... Tough games, uh, four tough games, I would say. But again, now we're kind of changing the way we look at things, right? The, the road trip looked like murderer's row without Carter. I was like, this is not going to be good. You know, if, uh, I, even though we predicted 500, a part of me was like, ah, they might actually go below 500 looking at, you know, the teams. But now we're going home. And after we played Toronto as well as we did, I have, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings come out at home a little rested and, and beat the Leafs. 
Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like we predicted a 500 road trip and the difference point-wise between four and two and 500 isn't that much, but it's just, it makes such a huge difference the way they got those four wins. And I mean, just, just some of the numbers, right? Like they're, they're leading, um, they're leading the West in goal differential, you know, they're plus 16 in goal differential, which is awesome to see. Um, they're playing well. You're, I, I still, I feel like the power play still has some room to improve. The movement is there, but I feel like the results are still not to the point where I think they should be. Um, it's just, there's hope every single game. Now you feel like they can win this game. Yeah. And especially if they're at home, especially if they have the last change, and with some of the development that you're seeing in some of the younger players, you feel like there's there's a chance every single game now. Oh, and by the way, they did it without Carter, Shore, Clifford, and Oscar Fattenberg. Exactly. So, and I remember telling you, I was like, have you even noticed that Fattenberg wasn't on the ice the last few games? And and I, you said no, and he's a good player. Like, we both like him, so we shouldn't yeah. notice, but... That's kind of the attitude right now with this team. It's, you know, we talked about it last time. Is next man up and whoever's up is going to do the job. Mike Amadio now is up with the Kings. He's he's doing fine mm-hmm. as a fourth-line center. Nothing, you know, nothing glaring either way, which is great. Brooks Like, man. Brooks Like is playing good hockey. I, he's not going to score. He's not going to, you know, you're not, you're not going to find him on the score sheet for a whole lot. But he's just playing solid bottom six minutes right now just doing the job doing the extra things getting the pucks in deep strong on the puck every time just a veteran right a veteran who's been in those situations who knows what he's doing and things where you only can you can only learn it by experience through experience through playing in the nhl so he's been he's been fine too so kudos to the kings man like we were questioning some of the people they acquired and guys like fattenberg and like and a couple of others and and they've kind of all panned out for the most part. It's, you know, leading the way, obviously, is Alex Ayafalo. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's also part of the culture shift that, that Blake and um, Stevens were trying to bring into the season. You know, the whole clean slate mentality. Um, it was about bringing in younger guys and seeing how they do. It was about, you know, bringing in guys like Fantenberg who maybe you hadn't really heard of, but one of your scouts saw him play in the KHL and thought that this might pan out. And, you know, like he's not to draw a comparison to, you know, Devin Setaguchi, who last year was a PTO and had a good story behind him and played a couple games and then really just was, was kind of being square pegged into a round hole because we really didn't have another option. And we kept trying to make something out of him that he wasn't um, like is playing exactly how he should be playing. You know, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's very appreciative. Every interview he gives, he's thanking Stevens for the minutes that he's getting and the responsibilities that he's getting. And he's showing up and taking advantage of all those, you know, those chances that he is getting. That's all you really want, right? And every, I think every single one of those moments when it's a guy like Curtis McDermott scoring his first goal, if it's a guy like Brooks like getting solid minutes and having a good shift out there, if it's a guy like I follow, you know, getting closer and closer to getting his first goal, Kempe playing as well as he is, I think all of those things go into rebuilding some of the swagger that the locker room and the team had lost over the last couple of years. It's building it in a different way. It's not building it in the way that they did the first time around where they ran roughshod on the league and won two cups. Granted, the second cup was a bit more of a, a challenge, but 
they pulled it off. It it's a different kind of swagger, I think, than the championship teams had. I think it's a swagger of going into every game, thinking to yourself and projecting to the other team that we can win this game and we're going to win it in unexpected ways versus before where the other team kind of knew you were coming because you were the champions and you had a roster that was, you know, four lines deep and a goalie that was all world and defense that was all world. And, you know, you were just a challenge. I think teams look at this team now and they really don't know what to expect anymore. Absolutely. And that goes not just with the system and their new approach to the game, but it's because all these players are kind of reminding the whole league that we did not forget how to play hockey over the last few years. Right. You know, it's not like it went away from us. Yes, uh, you know, we slowed down. And again, it was clearly now I could say, and I, I was critical that people are saying, oh, it was just the coaching. And I was saying that seems like a cop-out. They're just blaming the system. But I'm... I think it was that, Marty. I mean, I, yeah. I'm looking at it's this. It's hard to argue that it wasn't. Now, right now, you know, 13 games in, how can you argue that it was anything but that, right? It's Because these guys, it, again, their faces, their body language, the way they approach the game, the way they act in warm-up even, it's just a completely different thing. And everyone who reports on the team, everyone who covers the team, beat writers, everything, they all say this. And they had to say it quite a few times for me to believe it because – a small part of you, uh, whether it's ignorant to think this way, you think, oh, they're pros. You know, what do you mean they're not having fun? What do you mean it's fun? You know, you're a professional hockey player. You're making more money than a lot of people would ever dream of. So don't give me this stuff about you're not having fun at the rink. And that's a very, now that looking back at it, that's kind of a stupid thing mentality to have. And I'm guilty of it too is because, yeah, it is your job. Yes, you're getting rewarded monetarily, but you still have to go to work every day and enjoy your work every day and eat, sleep, breathe, drink, whatever hockey. So yeah, it's given I me mean, a new perspective too. Yeah. I mean, you and I are about as big a hockey fan as you're going to find, but you think about what these guys do on a day in day out basis, right? Like every morning, 7am they're getting out there and they're skating and they're, and they're working. They're not just like throwing the puck out there and kicking it around with their friends. Like they're running drills. They're getting, instructed on what to do and they do that for like an hour or something like that then they go and they have breakfast they review video they go over strategies for the upcoming game then they go do dry lands every single day you know it's it is a 24 7 grind and that's not even including the hours that you put it on flights the games themselves the late nights coming in and trying to sleep and then recover for another back-to-back game or another flight to another city it's a grind man it's an absolute grind and if you're not looking around and finding that the other, you know, 22 guys on that roster with you and on your coaching staff are all smiles and, you know, kind of with a band of brothers mentality pulling through it, it's going to weigh on you. And I think a lot of ways, the, the one person that really comes to mind as kind of a focal point of all this is Dustin Brown, who again had a solid night, had a goal uh, tonight against St. Louis. But Dustin Brown is a guy who's been on this team for a long, long time. He was a captain for both of the cup teams. And I think to go through what he went through doesn't just affect him, which it clearly did, to constantly hear your name about having the worst contract in the NHL, the Kings constantly trying to like figure out a way to trade you or see if anyone could take you. Um, 
people saying that your game had fallen off despite everything that you're doing in the off season to try and train and show up in the best shape of your life. You're getting 12, 13 minutes a night when before you were a solid 50 point guy in the league. I think it's hard for not just Brown, but it's hard for guys like Kopitar for Dowdy for Carter who've known Brownie and won championships with him to see him suffering the way he's suffering, you know, and not take that upon yourself in some way. You know, I can't even imagine what it would be like for Kopitar to have someone like that who's your friend, who you've won cups with, who you've grown close with over the decade that you've been in the league, and then know that, like, he's quite frankly being mistreated by your bosses who are asking you to take on the letter that was on his chest for no particular reason other than they want you to have it. You know, it. how can that not weigh on you? How can that not affect you every game when you're coming out there and you're playing and you're watching him just sitting on the bench? So I, I think it's all of that kind of goes into the psyche of not just individual players, but in the team as well. And it was a challenge to restore that. And, and obviously Blake and Stevens have, have done a super job of it so far. Yeah. And sometimes as a fan, you... Sometimes being a big fan actually makes you think the wrong way, right? The bigger of a fan you are, the right. more the more you understand the culture of hockey where it's such a, you know, have tough skin, toughen up, man up, all this stuff. And for you to even consider that players are not playing because of things like fun and captaincy and all this stuff, it just sounds silly. But really what's silly is the other way where you you kind of treat athletes like robots and like they're not supposed to have emotion they're not supposed to feel anything other than you know the emotions of winning and all this you know just being built to win hockey games and nothing else so it kind of has sometimes the bigger a fan you are of something the the more you lose sight of why you became a fan and why these guys became players so it's kind of an interesting dynamic and we're kind of waxing poetic about hockey right now because of the Kings, but that, that's what it is. That's what this team does sometimes. Hey, man, when they win, I, I can wax poetic all day. I could sit here and write soliloquies about them if I need to. <laughs> that's right. All right, so looking ahead, Vardy, uh, we talked about that. What do you think? Toronto, Nashville, Anaheim, Tampa. Let's just cover those four games. Okay. What do you so think? So I think that Toronto one, man, that Toronto one is still a coin flip just because Toronto is such a damn good team. But – they're, they're, they're showing cracks. They're showing cracks right now. Freddie Anderson's been lit up the last three games. Uh, they, they're having trouble. Anderson was not good in the game we played against them either, by the way. I, I, I think he came up with a couple good saves, but the ones he let in were some leaky goals. I felt like we were just seconds away from maybe getting another one. They just Their forecheck was really what beat us that game, in my opinion. Yeah, they, had, they got those young legs at the end of the day. You can't really, no matter what, you, you, that's always a factor, them moving around so fast. But... Uh, I like the Kings in this one. I think the Leafs are, the last few games have been struggling. I think Mike Babcock has been really in their face about a few things, particularly their defensive play. And, you know, again, their will, right? Their their willingness to do the extra things that sometimes young teams don't do. So I'm going to say the Kings are taking that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to give a score, but it's going to be a W for the good guys. Okay. I could I could buy that. I'll go with that. I'll buy that. Um, I think it's going to be a close one. I, I don't think we're going to see a blowout or anything of that no. sort. But I don't think I think I don't think we're ever going to see blowouts. I mean, even that four nothing Montreal game, that five one yeah. Montreal game, were not blowouts. I mean, they might be on yeah. the scoreboard, but so I think 
I'll go with you on this one. They get the W against Toronto. I think they beat Nashville. God, I want them to beat the Ducks. Oh, that would be so nice. Um, then comes Tampa's the, Tampa. Man, Tampa. The, the, that is the team that I predicted would win the Stanley Cup. Looking pretty good right now, buddy. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you. Yeah, you can't win it in October, but you could lose it in October. It's true. It's true. Well, they're, they're certainly not going to lose it in October, I'll no, tell you that much. No, they are not. Uh, <laughs> honestly, that Tampa game is the one, right? I mean, you look at the next four games, it's impossible to not look at that Tampa game and be like, that's the game where you want to see these two teams go at it. I mean, the two of the best teams I mean, in the league, <laughs> no matter how you, know, how you slice it, whatever name you want to put on it, that's going to be... A heck of a game because I think Nikita Kucherov is on another planet right now. The way he's playing, Stomkos is playing well. Uh, Vasilevsky, man, how about that? Huh? All that talk about will he be ready? Will he be this? <laughs> right now, he's saying yes to all those questions. He's playing really well too. Ooh, that's gonna be fun. That's gonna be fun. It's must see TV, man. If you're if you're a hockey fan, that is that is about as close to must see TV as you're gonna find. I, w- I mean, I would say that tonight's St. Louis game probably was, you know, must-see TV as well. But that's it's, it's, these games are just fun. You know, looking ahead at the schedule, like there's some fun games coming up. But that's definitely the the highlight of November. That November 9th game circled on everyone's calendar. Um, man, that's. I think they're gonna lose that one, dude. <laughs> we don't have to talk man. about that right now, Vardy. <sighs> just. But- just enjoy it, man. You don't, it's, that's I'm, right. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it even if they lose. It's not going to matter to me. It's not going to change my enjoyment. But Tampa's just so good and it's so deep, man. I, I, I watch, I look at like highlights every night. I check like their box scores and stuff. They get scoring, granted, Kucherov, Stomkos, these guys are, you know, they're going to get their, their points. But like guys like a Palat and Braden Point. You know, like, they're just they're getting scoring from every line, dude, and that's that is just fun to see. And uh, man, Montreal feels bad about making that trade right now <laughs> and taking Duran for Sergachev because Sergachev is playing phenomenal hockey for them. In defense of Jonathan Duran, who we really wanted to be a king in the summer, oh, he is still sexy. Still, still sexy. His, te- his team is just. They showed up tonight, though. They, I think they, they, did. they put seven up on Ottawa tonight. So maybe they're turning it around a little bit. Um, hopefully not, because I'll always dislike Montreal to a certain degree. But that's not here nor there, Vardy. Uh, I'm going to say the next four games, Kings are going three and one. I don't know which okay. games. Don't ask me. Don't ask okay. me. That, all right. I'm just <laughs> okay. telling you three and one. I will tell you they're going to beat Toronto. So... That's that's what I'm calling for the next four three and one Kings because last time I I was conservative and again they surprised me they that's what they're doing so maybe I say three and one they go four and zero oh. or maybe they go one no, and no, three no. maybe we should just stick to the conservative <laughs> <laughs> all right maybe gonna... we should go the Jonathan Quick route and just stick to stick to just terrible predictions and be happy with everything we get so zero oh, and four is what you're saying oh, four. Oh, and four is what's happening. You heard it Shout here first. Some, you heard it here. Four first. straight games. Oh, and four. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be fun, yeah. man. A couple of fun games. Toronto's always fun. Even the Nashville game is going to be fun just because of what they did last season. And then Anaheim right. and Tampa always, always cool. And even after Tampa, we have some fun ones with 
San Jose, Vegas on the 19th, Winnipeg on the 22nd, Washington on the 30th. So we'll get into that later. But November is a fun schedule overall. So hopefully they do well. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder who Vegas's goaltender is going to be by that point. They're, Hon- down, they're down to their fourth string goalie now. Honestly, I don't even think they know. I think Vegas is coming down to earth, buddy. That's what I think. And how about Arizona picking up their first W after blowing a 3 nothing lead? <laughs> Just, oh, man. Well, at least you know the early favorite is for the overall first overall pick at this point. And they could use that, that Dolan kid. Have you seen highlights of this kid? I have. He it is, is delightful. <laughs> he is unbelievable, the things he's doing. I mean, obviously, highlights don't tell the whole story, but... They tell some of it, and the stuff he's doing as a defenseman in the offensive zone are like Bobby Orr stuff, all right? I, no exaggeration. Google him. Put him in your Google machine. I believe it's Rasmus Dahlin is the man you're looking for. D-A-H-L-I-N, Yeah, I he is, uh, oof. He's going to be first overall, I think, by a mile. So, check him out. All right, so, that'll do it for us. Um... Episode 10, Vardy. A little bit of a milestone. So nothing to write home about, but 10 episodes. Crazy to think that we started thinking about this, oh, I don't know, a year or so ago, and we never executed until last summer. But, man, am I glad we did, because I look forward to doing this with you. Whenever we get the chance to do it, it's it's always a good time. Make hockey fun again, man. This is, this is all it's about. <laughs> Make hockey fun again, guys. Godspeed to Jeff Carter. Come back to us fast. We love you, Jeff. I'm Gato. He's Vardy. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time for episode 11.